This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to season one of The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners. Today, we are so excited to have the perfect story for this Thanksgiving holiday week. This is a patient story from a beloved friend who will share his journey and speak about the power of gratitude. Our friend, Sugandan Bharati, he goes by Sue, has an amazing story of hope and healing despite a pronounced period of distress and darkness caused from a negative experience with the healthcare system. His story really exemplifies the power of gratitude as well as the power of an individual to deliver hope. Our listeners should know this is going to be a different episode. We're featuring a patient story and it's the perfect way on this important holiday week of gratitude and thanks to reflect on why we do what we do. It's all about improving health for people like Sue. This is truly a message of love and healing for this season of Thanksgiving. Sue, happy Thanksgiving, brother. Welcome to the Race to Value podcast. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your team. We're so glad to have you, and we're very excited to have you share your story. Sue, I just want to start by saying thank you in advance, and I want to give you and our listeners permission to be emotional with this episode, to feel and express emotion. Even though we're going to discuss an incident that happened four years ago for you, I know this is still very present in your mind. And thank you for inviting us to share this experience with you. And I have much love for you, brother. I resonate with you on that, Eric. Thank you for your love. I feel that is the part that makes this journey so much more helpful and meaningful that your love and what you take away from this Thank you so much for being you and, and hearing me. Sue, let's start by discussing a car accident you were in four years ago. One day before Thanksgiving, you were ejected from the vehicle, but still alert and able to walk. However, this was way more serious than initially recognized. You actually found out later that you had a ruptured spleen 
and several broken ribs. But the healthcare system actually sent you home twice, <laughs> once at the scene of the accident, and then later on at the emergency room. There was obvious negligence because the system failed to diagnose the traumatic injuries received in this accident that put your life in danger. So just to reiterate, the EMTs were at the scene of the accident, allowed you to walk home from that scene. And when you got home, you lie down, you feel a pop and some pain. It's serious enough that you decide to call 911 and you get to the emergency department and all they do is take an x-ray. They say everything's fine and they send you home again. And knowing what we know now about your ruptured spleen and the other problems, you, you really should have gotten an MRI or CT scans, but even the x-ray at this time didn't even catch your broken ribs. For our listeners, Sue, can you talk about whether you felt acknowledged? And knowing what you know now with this misdiagnosis experience, what would you tell others about how to approach their own care? Thank you, Daniel. No, I want to say that I've thought long and hard about it. And I don't feel like I was acknowledged. I, I don't know what it was at that time. Was it that I was young? Was it that it was Thanksgiving Eve and I was another patient that they didn't have to deal with? I don't know if what they were telling me, I fully understood also. Was it because of the cultural difference? So I truly didn't know what I could have done better to explain to them other than saying that I couldn't feel a whole part of my body and and it was pretty shocking to me that they did an x-ray and initially I was told to walk to my x-ray room, but then when I said I couldn't, that's when a wheelchair was brought to me and I was taken on a wheelchair. And even after the x-ray, I remember this feeling vividly that I couldn't feel my abdomen. But walking out of that ER, I remember seeing that the nurses that who had just attended to me a few minutes ago while I was changing, were looking at like Thanksgiving deals and shopping. I remember vividly asking, also my friends asking if there was any medication that they prescribed. They just said, take over-the-counter pain medication and a laxative if they need. But there was nothing that said that was out of the ordinary. They said, I will feel better in the morning. And I truly didn't. So uh, I tried to express myself to the best I could and I didn't feel very acknowledged. So Sue, what amazes me after you were sent home by the emergency room, you know, 10 days go by and the pain just keeps getting worse. And, you know, I know you're in just immense pain and suffering and you're losing your ability to breathe. And here you are, you know, you're trying to power through a final exam for college. You're about to graduate and your nose just starts bleeding profusely. Something's clearly going wrong here. Sue, finally, you realize this is really serious. And so you go to the student clinic on campus and they recognize that there's something more than they can handle. And so they send you to the ER, but again, they send you a drone on a cord and you really should have been sent in an ambulance. Tell us, how are you feeling at this point? And when do you realize how much trouble you're in? And when you get to the ER, are they helping set expectations for what's coming? So once I was done with the exam, I was able to clear my head off my studies and go take care of my body better. I went to the student clinic wherein they, they said that I had lost a lot of weight during the 10 days and I should, there's more to what was going on inside my body and I should go to another ER. 
to get myself checked better. And I walked to the next ER and I remember that walk being horrific. Like it was sinking in only now that there was more to the accident on that day than what was diagnosed. And there's a possibility that there could be something which is more graver than what was diagnosed that day. And I remember walking into the ER, my friend with me, and the doctors were asking me what was going on. And I explained to them what happened on the first day. And they did a lot of scans. I remember having taken the scan, the same scan multiple times, and I didn't realize what was going on until I was told that I had contracted pneumonia and I had a lacerated spleen, broken ribs from that same accident. And that's when it truly sunk in that a lot was going on within inside of my body. And they were pretty astonished that I walked into the ER and did not come in an ambulance. I remember the look on the face of the doctor who came in with a report and he went, so you walked in? So as you've explained, you arrive at the ER, you're in serious trouble. They do these assessments, the imaging that you're talking about. And then by the time they do all these tests, they realize, as we've mentioned, your spleen is ruptured and it's been left untreated for almost two weeks. And not only that, but you have a serious complication now that's arisen because of this neglect, which is pneumonia and pulmonary edema. So now they decided they need to perform an emergency procedure to remove the fluids. And you're awake for this. And as you described, the needles are big and scary. And then they take you straight to have your spleen removed. And finally, your post-surgery in ICU. And this should be the time that healing begins. Sue, by now your brother has flown in from Washington to be with you. But it turns out there isn't at all like a place where he can stay for very long. There's a tiny little couch and he just can't get comfortable and he can't sleep. And the environment of care is not at all comfortable and conducive to healing. And I want to take a minute for our listeners just to think about this. I mean, just how poorly designed an environment of care can hinder healing. And there's been significant research in the fields of therapeutic and environmental design having to do with with patient stress and health outcomes. And many modern hospitals are using an evidence-based design approach to create environments that are therapeutic and supportive of family involvement. And somehow we need to find a way to create a, a care environment that inspires both caregivers and patients and reshapes the patient experience towards a more patient-centered and compassionate environment for healing to take place. So Sue, can you tell us how did that hospital environment prevent you from healing in the most optimal way possible? And what can Western medicine learn how to be more holistic in the way it delivers care so the care environment can nurture your soul as well as your body? I remember being carried from the operation room into my room where I was given a lot of medicines. There was no pain because I was under a lot of painkillers. My brother was right there. He was just beside me. And I felt like the care that was given to me was a lot more sterile. It was a lot more transactional. It was checking the box if I had if I had been given this medicine to numb the pain. And my brother, who, who had been in the room with me for a few days now, had clearly grown tired because of his sleeping condition. It was a very tiny couch, as you mentioned. So he was 
not able to support me as much as I would have needed at that time. But it was like as if machines were there and they were just giving me medicine at the time that I was supposed to be given. I feel like I heal a lot better when I am in nature and I like that holistic approach wherein there is something to look at out of the, outside the window and you can see that everything is going to be all right because truly when you're when you're not able to move and you're when, when you're immobile you want to get anything and everything that you can get to heal yourself and it felt like my body was definitely being taken care of because I couldn't feel it uh, so there was something that was probably right that was happening but I was feeling all these emotions wherein I felt like there was nobody to listen to me truly on a different level than the physical level that I was in. And that made me rethink a lot of things that made me understand that what I was going through was truly going to become a trauma at some point, because I remember slipping into this very dark place where I wouldn't communicate what I felt or I would try to communicate and I felt like there was nobody who was listening to me. It was me alone in this battle to get better and heal rather than a team who can help me heal through this. So as you're talking about being admitted to the hospital and the, these first couple of days and you actually end up being there for three weeks and during this time, you kind of suggest you're maxed out on your painkillers on the hydrocodone. Do you describe being scared of the pain? So you're really trying to avoid all of it. And, and it sounds like it's not just the physical pain. There's obviously emotional pain as well. And from knowing you being a very social person, you know, you experience some challenges. Your brother ends up leaving. Your friends are unable to visit because of finals and holidays. And you actually have a goal to make it to graduation but that doesn't happen. And then even worse, your grandma dies and you can't mourn for her because of the despair that you're in. You know, Sue, I hear you, you talking about your experience and it was very transactional. And you said it was kind of like check the box medicine and the care team was detached from your emotional well-being, And the care was far from being patient-centered or holistic in terms of meeting your overall needs. During this time, you realize that your hospital stay and the care that's being provided is very one-sided and that it's delivered only around clinical interventions, but it's really missing a, a vital component in terms of allowing your spirit to heal with your body. And the health system, I guess, you know, it doesn't know or maybe even care what's happening with you emotionally. And, you know, just knowing you the way I do and just understanding the healing process, relationships and personal connectivity are so important in the healing process. And Sue, can you describe, you know, just how you view the connection to your fellow human beings and the personal ways that we interact with one another and how that connectedness and being in touch with something that's bigger than just you can, can facilitate not only healing of your soul in this particular situation and your body, but, you know, even just thinking about, you know, just all of humanity, how, how can we really think about relationships in a different way and, and use it as a, a powerful healing tool? Yeah, Eric. So having people who are there to love you and take care of you in many ways other than just physical needs is key here because 
you need somebody to tell you that it's okay. You need somebody to tell you that this pain that you're going through is all right. Because if you don't have that emotional support, you are broken in so many ways inside that you don't understand at that point because you're you're going through a lot of emotions and there's no guide to tell you that, hey, so this is okay to feel the pain. This is It is okay to understand that you've gone through a true traumatic incident and just having someone telling you that you're so brave for going through this helps you in so many ways because you bring up that extra ounce of courage that you have, that extra ounce of feeling alive that you have to hold on to that feeling so that you can feel alive and be fully there and respond to the treatment that is given to you because that adds to the bigger goal of healing here because it brings the courage from within you and it tells you that hey you're a stronger person you have this ability in you to go through that extra mile and get out of this situation and you have you have it in you to truly come out of this dark place that you may be going through having that is key here because you can numb your body or you, you can void the pain in your body by giving you medicine, but there's nothing truly present or available that can help you heal the spirit that's also broken. That emotional connect that you need is present when you have your loved ones and family around or someone who's there to tell you that, hey, you know what? It's going to be okay. So yeah, the physical pain was numbed and that directed all my energy towards the emotional feeling that I was feeling at that time. The, the fear was creeping in and it was so much more real that it sucked me in, it pulled me towards thinking that, hey, if I don't feel this pain, I'm not going to come out of this. So I was trying to hold on to anything that can bring me back to the present and show me that pain so that I can deal with it and move on. Sue, that's such a paradigm shift for me. You know, so much of medicine is always about making sure the the body recovers and focusing on, you know, avoiding the pain of that recovery. But there's, as you described, such an important element to feeling that pain and, and recognizing your your healing progress. And we've talked about a number of things that went wrong but I want to connect the dot here between what you've been saying about the pain recognition. And, and you remember that there was a nurse who made a significant difference to you. It was really important to you that she came and provided a, at this moment of numbness that you're describing and hyper-focus on the emotion. She provided something that we call culturally relevant care in the industry. Right. And Sue, as I recall, uh, she was Indian, you know, just like yourself, and you felt connected to her. You trusted her. You responded to her. She was the only one on the care team that really connected with you as a human being at a deeply personal level. And she cared for you and expressed concern about your overuse of hydrocodone at the time, which, you know, hydrocodone is the, as I understand, is the closest thing you can get to heroin in the healthcare setting. 
And if you didn't have her during this time, you were telling me that you possibly could have ended up with an opioid addiction. And as you know, I mean, and for our listeners out there, you know, more than 67,000 Americans died last year from drug-involved overdose, including illicit drugs and prescription opioids. Opioid addiction is a, a very big issue in our country. And this nurse didn't want you, want you to become part of that epidemic. And no one else, including the doctor, said anything about it. So can you tell us about this personal connection you had with the nurse? And what do you think could have happened had you not taken her advice? Yeah, Eric, this nurse who was also Indian and not far from where I belong to India, she looked through my charts and what truly was happening was I was given hydrocodone every hour. And then I was told that whenever you feel immense pain, you could ask for it. And she had read, she had gone through my charts and she had seen something that was truly shocking to me when I heard it from her was I asked for it more often than not. So she came up to me and she said, hey, I understand you are going through this pain. I know what you can, I know that this can be hard, but you have to fight through it because I see that you're getting, you may be getting hooked to this medicine to avoid the pain. Do not avoid it. When I was given that hydrocodone, it took it away and I was in a better state. It felt like at that time, but what truly was happening was I was running away from the pain. I was trying to do everything and anything that took me from that physical feeling of pain because I don't know why, because, but it was taking me away from that physical pain. So, and it was a moment of awakening for me to think that I may have in the future what is called an addiction to this drug because it the, the way it made me feel, the way it made me feel taken away from the physical form of my body. So had she not said it, I wouldn't have realized the importance of feeling that pain and how I needed that at the moment so that I can heal in the truest of senses. She resonated with me. She took care of me in a different way than the other nurses. She told me what I needed versus what I should be given to numb the pain. She looked to the future for me and helped me realize that I could have a problem in the future if I went down this path. And that's the moment of awakening that I had, that I needed to realize and come out of this and, and feel pain and start my healing physically so that I can get out of this trauma. So had she not done that, I, I truly feel a lot of gratitude towards her for her to be there and tell me and go the extra mile to go through my charts and then say, hey, you may have a problem in the future. So while going through all of this, I was trying to feel the pain because I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to feel present and that courage that I needed to feel the pain because could take a lot from you to feel the pain because it's so powerful. And that's what I needed to feel at that time. I needed to feel alive. I needed to feel that connection to the present that I was going through a lot of things in my head also. So I needed to feel it to 
truly heal out of it. So I tell myself that, hey, I have felt this pain. It is now I am going to, at one point, stop feeling this pain. And that's when I have jumped the bar, like if you may, when a horse jumps, I have crossed the line. The worst is behind me. That's what I wanted to feel. And the system made me not feel it. They kept giving me the painkillers that took me away from the physical pain, but put me in a lot of emotional trauma because that was the only thing other than the physical pain that could have made me feel alive. Sue, so by now you're at your lowest low. You spent weeks in the ICU and you're experiencing the darkest nights of the soul. You know, the physical pain has increased because you're limited with your hydrocodone. And I I know you're blaming yourself for being there and you have almost no self-love, you know, only regret. You're feeling loathing for yourself and the position that you're in and you're scared and you you don't want to be alone and you're truly in despair. And you have this personal, as I understand, a personal connection to a stranger that comes into your life and And I believe that person was only there for 15 minutes. And when I heard the story, you know, when you first told me about it, it reminded me of a quote. It's from Albert Schweitzer. He said, at times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. So, Sue, this man came to your room and he prayed over you. This was the truest act of kindness from a stranger, a selfless act of love. This single small act was so important to your healing journey and to you. It's really where you feel your healing started. Can you describe what that was like? How important was this action to you? And if this individual were listening to our podcast episode today, what would you tell him? So I was in a dark place, Daniel. I remember not having anybody beside me, my brother who had been around for however many days at that point had gone, had gotten tired and I sent him home. I told him it it was okay that he, if he wanted to go home and he did. And I truly wanted somebody to be around also at the same time. So I remember scrolling through my phone and trying to call up anybody who can come help me. But I also understand that it was finals and not everybody could make it. So I was truly slipping into darkness where I asked myself, how was I in this position? Because up until that point, I was always surrounded by friends. I was always in a group of people. So somebody was always around me. So I remember coming out of a nap I was taking and this kind stranger who was there was in the middle of a prayer and I and I woke up and I saw him and I was shocked first to see him and asked him when he prayed over that what I could provide to him because I didn't know what to give to him because the true prayer from a stranger was so soothing and healing and what I needed at that time that I felt I, I had to give him something and he just smiled and he said I didn't I didn't have to do that and he was just there to heal my spirit and pray over me. And that was such a powerful gesture from the universe to have sent him to have heard what I truly needed. And that's the moment I started coming out of that dark zone and felt that 
there is more light to this. I didn't have to slip into that depression that I was going through. I didn't have to feel that low because there was the universe that was present around me, the love and affection of a kind stranger that was present around me that could heal me also. And that's powerful according to me to have a stranger who didn't know me at that time, who didn't, he didn't, I, I'm sure he didn't know what I, uh, what my clinical stage was at that time. So the power of his prayer was truly felt. And if, if that kind stranger is listening to this, I want you to know that you, my brother, have touched me in so many ways that I am the person that I am today. Because of that prayer, I slipped out of the darkness and into what I am today because of that prayer. I now know the true joy of sharing and caring because the act of a smile even could bring upon a smile on the other person's face. That is the reason that I smile every time when I don't have anything else to show someone, I smile. And that goes a long way. It is not something that you can measure, but it's truly something that you can feel. And that feeling is what you can hold on to to come out of that darkness. And that's what you provided me, brother. And I truly thank you wherever you are. And if you're listening to this, I hope you're having a great journey of your own and you're touching more souls. And I truly pray that you continue to do so. Sue, that's such a beautiful account. Thank you for sharing that. And obviously it was so important to you and made such a big difference. And your care team, didn't understand that that's what you needed and they didn't provide that opportunity for you. You know, what you described to me, it provided me with an important realization that the medical industry is pretty good at knowing if a body is broken, but how do they know if your spirit is broken? You know, and, and I wanted to ask you, Sue, um, how can the health system deal with spirituality better? I mean, you were in the ICU for three weeks in and out of consciousness, scared and alone, and no one ever checked in on your spiritual needs other than this stranger. Yeah, so the healing that came from the stranger was so powerful that I began to think how the nurses could have provided me, provided me that or how it could have been a team of people who take care coming together and nourishing the body, nourishing the soul, nourishing the spirit. How can it be a holistic approach to healing? And that is what I truly feel is needed in a lot of cases because they can see in scans if your bones are broken, if your body is going through something, but it, there's no true measure of how much your spirit and emotion is changed during when you go through a trauma as, as such as that. So I feel like a team of people instead of just clinically trained nurses to be there would be a great idea to take care of people who are going through trauma like that, take care of people who are, who are in intensive situations as I was at that time. So it has to be a whole team and cannot be from a person because if you truly think about it, the nurses are sometimes so overwhelmed and stretched from their usual days. So if there was a team that could take care of the physical healing as well as the spiritual healing and the emotional healing, that would be 
the way to go. I don't know what the answer is to this question, but I feel it's a start. Sue, I, I think you're really on to something, and you know that's the premise of this podcast. It's value-based care. It's about improving outcomes and reimagining the healthcare system. And when I hear your story, I, I think about how what we accept as healthcare in our country, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you can truly have healing in, a, in an environment that's, that's filled with love and hope and joy. And it has all those things that we understand and appreciate as, as medicine, those clinical interventions and the surgeries and all of that. But you could have a care team that is truly inspired and empowered, enabled, not just to look at clinical types of interventions and checking the box, but also really feeding the soul and thinking about uh, spiritual connections and understanding all of the different determinants that comprise a, a person's health and well-being. Thank you, Eric. That makes sense. Like that extra mile of care that helps them heal more than they they look at look at them as patients who come in and who go out. It truly has to be tailor fit. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it could cause con you know, it could cause a lot of uh, complexities in forming that team, but each individual is different. Their needs are different. Their care should be different then. So why not go that extra mile and do that tailor fitting? Thank you, Sue. As I've said, there's some, some paradigm shifts that I think people are going to be experiencing as they're listening to your story and your explanations. And I want to jump now to where you've been in the hospital for weeks and Christmas Day comes and you're discharged. It's the best gift you could ask for. You're alive, you're well, and on top of that, you're profoundly grateful for your life. You've been through an extremely difficult experience, through intense pain, physical and emotional, as you've described. You have every right to be angry at a system that failed you initially and actually caused a lot of this pain. If you'd been treated on day one instead of 10 days later, so much of that suffering could have been avoided. And, and many people going through this type of experience would be angry and even bitter. But instead, here you are sharing the story with us, and you're full of gratitude. That's really the highlight for me. The most important lesson from all of this is how powerful gratitude is. And Sue, your, your gratitude is incredible. You illuminate joy and, and hope and life and that smile of yours. It's infectious. So you are someone that has taken this experience and you've learned how to feel joy and pour love into all of your relationships. In the spirit of Thanksgiving this week, how grateful are you for this experience? Tell us about how you're a better person for having gone through this. <laughs> yeah. So when I got discharged, it wasn't at first that I felt this way. It was, and when I looked back, having had this accident happen on Thanksgiving and having been discharged during Christmas, it truly felt like I was, I was brought back to the spirit of Christmas, to, to the spirit of joy and the gifts that was given to me. I, I looked uh, upon this as something that built my character, that showed me that I could go through that pain, that showed me that I was strong enough. So it truly stood as a test 
and I felt like I passed that test. And that's when I put a lot of things together. And all I had at that time was gratitude for the team that took care of me, for the stranger that prayed over me, that nurse that said that I could be going into something that was worse for me in the future, that she showed me what could be done right. And all that put together, I am more than just thankful. I want to give them back something. And I actually did visit the hospital when, once I was all healed and I wanted to meet that nurse. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to. She wasn't there that night. So I remember meeting the other staff that took care of me and passing them chocolates because it truly came at a point where gifts were being shared. And I felt like I was given the gift of spirit, the gift of joy, the gift of thankfulness and gratitude that I had to take with me for the rest of my life. And it's, if you think about it, that's a great gift. It, Like you said, that smile that can be contagious comes from it. That smile that can put a smile on somebody else else's face comes from it. So I'm so thankful that I went through this. Sure, there was some bitterness towards the ER at some point, but had, had I not gone through this, had it been the day one care, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the help and the kindness of a strange soul in ways that I appreciate now. On a personal note, there was a lot of changes that helped shape me currently the way I am also. I had a, a job in Houston that I was going to go towards, but due to this accident, I then later on ended up at a job in San, getting a job in San Francisco. And once I moved, that's when I feel like my true story began because since then I have enjoyed doing what I used to do, but even better, I played soccer at a much higher level and that led me to go into a prison and help spread the joy of soccer and love into the inmates who need it. So I felt like I was being put on a track of a higher calling due to this accident, due to the way it panned out, due to the, the way it unfolded. So I truly am thankful that I went through this and the team that helped me was there at the right time. It didn't feel a lot during the time that I was going through, but coming out of it, I feel like I'm a better person now having gone through it. And as Johnny Cash said, I'm the boy named Sue. And if I understand that prison you were in was in San Quentin. That is correct. And that's where Johnny Cash performed that song. And uh, it just tied up beautiful bow to the whole experience. So I just feel the love um, every time you share this and, and the gratitude and it's so contagious to me and I know it will be to our listeners and everybody who gets to experience and understand your story and, and the perspective that you've gained. We've talked about making the system more aware of the patient's emotional and spiritual suffering and healing. I'm sure as a solutions architect, the profession that you're in, there are more suggestions that you have that you could offer to improve the system of care. What is one thing you would tell healthcare executives that they could do differently in their organizations, especially around the empowerment of nurses? <laughs> yeah, I have thought long and hard about this problem because as you mentioned, I'm a solutions architect and what I do is I provide solutions. So, I don't know if this is the solution, but what I feel is 
usually when I look for solutions, I look for root causes, why this is a problem. And what I feel currently right about the system is the nurses are overwhelmed with work. Like you take the pandemic that we are in right now, there are so many nurses who are overworked. They are truly the healers and the people who take care of us. I, I even remember having a chat with one of the nurses and they said that they had to buy their own coffee. How can they provide the healthcare that we need, the care that I need, if they are stressing about other things that they have to go through as a human being? Like having coffee is just the basic of waking you up. If they had to go buy their own coffee, how can they expect to go the extra mile if the system is not taking care of them? It's it trickles down truly. So if the executives don't take care of their doctors or nurses, then the nurses are not going to take care of their patients as well as they could in their truest ability. Probably all the nurses want to go the extra mile because they found that connection with the patients, but they are not truly able to because they have so much other needs that need to be fulfilled. So I don't know if the compensation needs to be better or if you need to provide better services for the nurses. There needs to be something that translates from the management down that truly cares for the nurses. And then that can transcend into the care for the patients that the nurses provide. Sue, you've told me before that you're still healing from this experience and you have residual trauma still left that that, that you're dealing with. And during this formidable time, you know, when you were in the ICU and dealing with the recovery from this horrific accident, your grandmother also died. And during your time in the hospital, you weren't allowed to properly mourn for your grandmother because you're still, you know, trying to survive and, and overcome your own physical challenges at the time. And I, I just think about how part of your healing is sharing this story. And can you explain what compels you to, to share this story and what's next for you in your healing process as you continue to become a better person and, and be your best self and full of love and joy and taking this experience and making it better for all the people that you come in touch with in this world? Yes, Eric. I want to take a moment and say that I couldn't mourn for my grandma at that time. I was feeling a lot that I was going through that I didn't have the emotional capacity to mourn for my grandma. Mm -hmm. I remember having a broken foot once and she took me uh, towards the end of the healing. She took me to a temple and that's where she confided in me that she was sorry that she wasn't present in spirit to protect me. And I truly feel like what I went through was so much easier and it was better experience which could have been worse and that bad part was deflected to her and i truly feel that i will forever mourn her and sharing this story is so healing because whoever i share this with has their own trauma has their own burden that they're going through and if there could be something that i can provide that tells them that hey you know what, this is going to be okay. If I could be that stranger who prayed over me, if I could just touch them in a way that the stranger helped me, if I could show them that there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel, that's what makes this journey and story so much more beautiful because I feel empowered to do that 
due to the care I was given and due to what I took away from it. So if I could be that person who brings you back from that darkness, I will truly be and sharing the story and, and hoping that this helps someone who truly is in need of hearing that it is going to be okay, makes me feel that it adds more to my journey and it adds more meaning to my life. And that's what I want to truly do in the future. I want to let people know that, hey, it's going to be okay. You don't, you're going through this. It's okay to go through this. You're going to come out of this. This is a test that you're going through. And when you come out of this, it's going to be better because usually they say that you have to face your biggest fears to overcome that. What you're doing is the most hardest part. You are going through that fear and this is what is going to shape you and your future. There is a ray of hope in the, in the end. And it all comes together. You will see. All you have to do is just hold on. And time will heal you in so many different ways. And it will build you. But going through this journey, there are other people who you don't know and you don't see who are sending you that energy, who are sending you their love and want you to be better. And that's that's what I want to give to the listeners. Whoever needs it, there is a lot more that is out there that you don't see and feel right now that is coming your way to heal you. And I want to give the listeners that hope, the same hope that I received. And I hope this helps someone. And for my rest of my journey, I have I will keep continuing sharing that joy and love that I can and I have so contagiously that anybody and everybody around me feels it and they sense it and they can heal from it. I want to be that person. Sue, I, I love your desire to help others and, and to share this experience. And you've shared with us a willingness to go beyond just sharing your story. You're willing to actually connect with any of our listeners individually who may be suffering in any way. And to, as you say, share your support and share your love with them. And so for anyone who wants to take you up on this offer, how can people connect with you to heal together if they want to get to a place where you've arrived and, and where you're going and, and approach their challenges with gratitude? Yeah, I'm always available for you guys. I can connect with you through email, which is S-U-G-A-N-D-A-N-B at gmail.com, shoot me an email, or even if you're on LinkedIn, add me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. I will always respond. I would love to be a part of your healing and your journey. And that is what I want to give to the listeners and anybody who's out there who's going through a hard time. Please feel free to reach out. Sue, thank you so much for taking this time to spend with us today. Your message is so important. And we're grateful to be able to share it. I send you all my love and energy for a healthy and prosperous life filled with joy and beauty. I love you, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. I love you too, Eric. Thank you for this wonderful experience. I've never been on a podcast before. And I was, uh, to be honest, I was pretty nervous. Thank you for making me feel all right. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for saying that it's okay because that's what a lot of people need at, at times like these. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your team. And please send my love and energy to your family. And Daniel, thank you so much for listening. And 
helping me share this story the way I wanted it. And it's such a beautiful feeling to help others. And thank you for giving me that. Thank you so much, Sue. 